Hello and welcome to Loose Spokes. I am Randall. And I'm Roger. And this is a, uh, a dirt bike, motocross, supercross kind of a podcast. Um, this week we're pretty much going to focus on the untimely passing of motocross legend Marty Smith. Um, Roger, you uh, you kind of grew up with this guy being your uh, your hero uh in of sorts yeah absolutely i mean i'm i'm four years younger than him and every kid growing up in the mid-70s was you know wanted to be like marty smith um because i mean he had it all he honda had just started having factory bikes and he Nobody knew his name before 1974, hardly. He did some CMC races and stuff, but, you know, he ended up with the, on the fire engine red Honda, you know, wasn't even silver with a red exhaust pipe tip. It was full on, you know, and uh, the first factory Honda 125, and he just won and won and won, and he was, you know, a real relaxed, kickback kind of guy, and, you know, wasn't necessarily dog-eat-dog. You have to be a little bit to actually win on a regular basis but you know he was he was what most kids that age they wanted to be marty smith or be just like him so let's let's kind of start at the beginning he started racing in 1971 on a monarch right yep yep i think i think a monarch had a might even have had a sax engine in it um right and actually i saw a picture of him about then with a uh, uh, actual like DT1, mm-hmm. we mentioned the DT1 a couple of weeks back. Oh, we did. Okay, yeah, that he had a he had a DT1. I think that was I think that was before Monarch when he was he was still doing CMC races, CMC races, but he wasn't even winning those races yet. You know, he's just like I think he was fourteen or something like that, super young. Well, we're talking. You know, how long have you know, proper motocross bikes been in the U.S. at this point. Well, that's just it. I mean, really, you know, proper motocross bikes. Um, wow, 73 in my book. And really, that's because the Japanese bikes started coming out. You know, you had proper motocross bikes with, you know, when they were modifying, you know, Greaves's and, and uh triumphs and bsas those were big heavy machines you know those were more scramblers than uh they were motocross bikes yeah they were really more scramblers i i I would agree with you now granted they had you know even back to 1967 uh suzuki had some rh 250s you know factory bikes that they were putting out there that eventually you know sylvan gabors and roger DeCoster got on those um, they were super light, super unreliable. And the the first Honda Elsinore was uh, seventy two, uh, like July of seventy two. They raced in the Jap- Japanese Nationals uh, with it, and uh, yeah, it got a DNF. <laughs> but you know, when they brought it back out again, like five or six months later, then they were they won with it, and. I should remember who it was that was riding it because it wasn't that far off of a name, but um, yeah, they were able to win with it. But and that's that's the thing is, you know, he didn't 
start racing professionally until 1973, which is really when the bikes were becoming actual purpose-built, you know, machines. And so he started in 1973. That would have made you 13 years old. Yep. Um, when he when he did his first uh, race at um, uh, Orio uh, Cycle Park, which is now Glen Halen, or at least part of Glen Halen. Oh yeah, yeah, and you, you would call it Arroyo. Arroyo is how the how they say it in SoCal. And that was his first one twenty five national. Was there really? And that was yeah. Glen Helen at that time, huh? That was. Um, well, it was Arroyo uh, then. The Royal Cycle Park. I remember hearing the name. Yeah. And it's apparently now that's been incorporated into Glen Halen now. Huh. So. Yeah. Learned something every day. That's interesting information. Being I've ridden at Glen Helen a lot. And, of course, growing up down there as a little kid, it would have been a Royal Cycle Park while I was down there. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, so he then uh, moved to American Honda in nineteen for the nineteen seventy four season. Correct. Okay, and he was one of the first real factory racers, you know, there in the U.S. at least. I mean, before this, there were Roger DeCoster types on the other side of the pond that would come over here and embarrass us by, you know, lapping every American three or four times. Yeah, yeah. But he was really the first one of one of the first uh, American motocrossers to really be able to take the fight to you know the likes of the Europeans. Actually, yeah, he was um, because well, like on the two fifties, then you had uh, Gary Jones and Billy Gross who were riding the Silver Tanker CR two fifties at kind of at the same time. Um, but the 125 had always, was always a support class. Um, and in 73, it was just a support class in the nationals. It really didn't mean anything. So the first year for it being an actual championship was 74. And uh, he was able to win it that year um, on that factory Elsinore. And so that's his second year riding, uh, you know, in the nationals and mm-hmm. only four years riding dirt bikes pretty much at all. Yeah. Cause he, he started when he was 14 years old <clears throat> was the, well, the first time he got a, on a starting line <laughs> and that was just on, uh, an old, uh, road bike that they took the lights off of, yeah. Yeah. cut a number plate out and, and threw it on there and started, uh, just started racing. Yep. Yep. So he he went he went full factory in 1973 uh and and won it. His uh domination was, just kind of continued from there, yeah. That was 74 he went factory full factory and won it. Right, 74 he went he went full factory. Yeah. So um you probably have a pretty good memory about a lot of these uh these seasons was you know did he win handily? Did he have real competition early on? In the 74 year, um, it was funny. In the 74 year, he won it, you know, pretty good, but he had some competition. 75, when he won it, he really didn't have any competition. And, of course, 76 was the arrival of Bob Hanna. Well, 74 and 75, um, 
would you know off the top of your head kind of his strongest competition in in the uh, small bore class? Um, Tim Hart was in there, and he was riding Yamahas, and then um, Tommy Croft was the other guy, but I'm not sure that Tommy Croft was factory Honda in 74. I think it was around 75 that he came on there. Um, beyond that, off the top of my head, I don't. Uh, yeah, Tim Hart, Tommy Croft, Marty Smith. And so he he won the 74 and the 75 seasons, yes. you know, by a decent margin. Yep. Yep. In 1976, he came in, uh, you know, with a renewed contract mm-hmm. uh, and for the 125s, and he raced uh, against Bob Hanna that year. Yeah, yeah. But here's the here's the issue as to why he wasn't able to win in 76. Bob Hanna won in 76, but in 1976, they – they, Marty Smith, man, he was the guy. He was, um, everyone, he, everyone wanted to watch him race and he worked for Honda and Honda worked him. Uh, they sent, they'd send him to Europe. You know, if there was an off weekend, uh, in the nationals, they'd send him to Europe. So he'd have to, you know, travel all the way to Europe, go over there and race. And then he'd come back here and race the next time. And I, I watched an interview with, uh, him and Bob Hanna this week. And Bob Hanna said, I knew we could get him then. I knew we could get him because he was going to be tired. And he was. He was just flat worn out. Yeah, because they had, uh, Honda had him racing the 125 World Championships and the AMA 125s, which we kind of touched on the idea of maybe trying to combine those in today's world uh, a few weeks back. But this this is what they did. They sent him uh, to all of them. Yep. Or to, not they, all of them. He eventually he couldn't do it, and he but he only raced three races, I think. Imagine. I should I should say they were uh, they were intending to send him to do the complete GP championship. Yeah, in they were intending to. But even even though he only did a, a few races, he still got ninth. That's really good. Only doing a few races. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. at the time the. Uh, Wait, uh, the Europeans were a lot, you know, a lot stronger. Yeah, actually, I don't have that mem- remembered right. What he did was, he went over there and raced one GP, and this is a little ways into the season. He raced one GP, and in that GP, by winning both motos, he was in ninth place. Wow, just from one one, one race. race because he won both motos. There was a lot of parity over there in those days. Um, I think that was the. Uh, Gaston Rayer uh, era where he won it a whole bunch of times for Suzuki. Um, and, you know, he was pretty fast, but Marty went over there and whooped him. But uh, but I think it just took too much out of him trying to do the GPs and the Nationals. And so he ended up being, you know, sort of mediocre in both series. I'm, I'm, I'm real sure he got second in the 125 Nationals, but uh, he wasn't able yes. to win it. Because he did... He did um... He only raced. No, no, no. Oh, sorry. Of of five, the first five years that he raced, um, he took um, from from nineteen seventy four, seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, and seventy eight. Mm-hmm. All five of those years, 
three of them he took the championship. Yep. And two he got second in the championship. And he and he so, lost to Bob Hanna in both of those championships, didn't he? Uh, I do believe he did. But nope. That, I know in the seventy six one twenty five he did, but the seventy eight five hundreds, I think it was Bob Hanna that beat him in that one. That's I mean, that's hugely uh, you know, um consistent yeah to do that yep um and 1978 was not a not a great year for him anyway but we'll uh we'll get to that um so he did the he did the 125s and he did the gps Mm -hmm. and um he didn't win either of the championships in 1976 correct um that was the year they were sending him to europe he was doing Supercross on the 250. Uh, it was a lot. He was really spread out. And a, a lot of people uh, uh, kind of say that it's because Honda didn't update the 125. Because at that time, every year, uh, the bikes were generally updated because there were leaps and bounds in suspension te- technology and mm-hmm. engine technology. So for them to not update the 125 and 76, um, a lot of people think that's, that's kind of what, what might've hurt Marty uh, a little bit is that Honda had, they were just so sure that their bike was, you know, far beyond what their competition was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they didn't have to worry about it. But Yamaha came out with that, uh, I believe it was liquid-cooled in 1976? No, no. Water-cooled? So when it comes to production bikes, um, 78 was really, 77 was really the year that Honda didn't do the updating they needed to do. In 76, they came out with a completely new bike. I actually bought one, so I know all about it. You know but that's the 250, isn't yep, it? This is the 125 and 76. Okay. Um, that's when they moved the shocks forward and they changed the motor. You know, the 74, 75 was, by today's standards, a mid-range motor. You know, you, mm. you just rode it in the mid upper mid-range. Um, it made its maximum horsepower at like 92 or 9,600 RPM. My 76 made its maximum horsepower at 10.5. Um, you know, and... My buddy, he bought a 76, 125 Yamaha X. That's the Air Fork model. And we would race those things up and down the road. Engine performance-wise, those bikes were dead even every time. Um, so yeah, competition-wise in the motor, they were, they were still competitive in 76. In 77, Yamaha, they upgraded to the D model, which is a new frame, new motor, and everything like that. Well, the 77 Honda... Got red fork boots. <laughs> 78 still had red fork boots. It was the same motorcycle from 76, 77, 78. It was always all the same motorcycle, but um, Yamaha and Suzuki was obviously coming out with the, the first downpipe RPM, or RM. And then in that was 75 and 76, they had the uppipe RMs and they were moving on, and Honda was not. And when they did in 79, and I think Marty was gone by then. Or was it 80 that he went to Suzuki? Um, hmm. 78 CR250 came out. Oh, no, he rode those, the fire engine, the, the, the uh, 78s. Yeah. Those were, well, I bought one of those too. And that was a completely, between 70, 
677 CR250s were basically the same bike. It was kind of a 74 updated with an uptype. 78, completely new bike, and they ripped. But the 125s suffered until about 1980. They just didn't well, pull out into them. I, I, uh, Marty Smith claims um, that uh, in 1976, uh, he had a 40-second lead in two French GPs, mm-hmm. and the bike and the bike broke on him. Well, yeah, and that's the factory bikes when they're doing you know, research and development, those, those RCs were, there was really not too much production about. Yep. And then his frame broke in Belgium. <laughs> yep. And uh, the FIM wouldn't let him change frames. So yep. he, you know, he was just out of that one. And then they had a new factory bike in the middle of the season. And he, he said he was able to beat Hannah on Hannah on that. Um, but Honda eventually pulled the bike away from him um, because in 1976, you could do what they still do at Loretta Lynn's. You can protest. Oh, and, yes. They claim you can bike. take the bike. So you yeah. used to be able to claim bikes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, him coming in and losing and losing to, to Bob and then coming in with a new bike and beating him. Yeah. You know, would give could give, you know, Hannah grounds to. Uh, claim the bike yeah well H- hannah didn't i think i think it was steve wise it was a name that somebody that raced they six hundred dollars you can claim that bike six hundred dollars six hundred dollars and you know back then bikes don't you know didn't cost what they cost now but that's still a heck of a deal for a super sweet uh factory bike and actually those bikes were way more expensive than today's bike that bike was worth 40 grand in 1976? Yes. Wow. I Ken Roxon's bike is probably worth about maybe $25, $25,000 today. You know, $28,000. I can't imagine it's worth much more than that, although the people are going to laugh and say, oh, shoot, the suspension is worth more than that. But, now, I've, I've heard that the suspension on a full factory bike right now is $40,000 just <laughs> for the suspension, that the engine's almost that. Hmm. And that, um, and that could be, but you know, forty thousand dollar RC one twenty five in nineteen seventy six. That's big dollars today. That's huge money. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, was, it was mostly handmade. <clears throat> so when you would, you you wouldn't watch, but you would read about um, yeah. the races in um, Cycle News. Yep. Yep. Uh, eventually, weekly. Yeah. Um. So when you read, read up on it, and you you got to go to a couple of the races even back then, yeah. So I went to a '77 Puyallup Trans Am, and I got to see those guys at that race. And Washougal wasn't happening yet. Um, so how how did it come across um, with the you know the the battle of these two guys? Uh, you know, Marty Smith and Hurricane Hannah, did that, was that able to come through like the battles are, you know, today we get to sit down, we get to meet the writers and watch them, you know, watch them really battle it out. Back then you have to mostly read about it. Um, how were they able to kind of convey the the pressure and the, you know, the, the stress 
of of racing between these two. I, I remember uh, at, at that Puyallup Trans Am, that particular race, it was Bob Hanna and Roger DeCoster. Uh, Smith was following him, um, not far behind, but Smith and but DeCoster and Hanna, it was a full on battle. They weren't. There was some contact. There wasn't a lot, but these guys were just going as fast as they could for what seemed like forever. Um, hmm. But it was definitely an intent as intense a battle. You know, when it comes to you know Marty Smith and Bob Hanna and the one twenty fives, they were head and shoulders above everybody else. So it wasn't like you know today you don't see a whole lot of head to head between Ken and Eli. You know, somebody has a good night, someone else gets fourth, you know. You, you know, we saw some head to head at Daytona, but you you didn't you don't see that's rare. that really. But yeah. back then in the one twenty five class it was always, you know, Smith and Hannah battling and nobody, you know, they didn't they rarely crashed uh out, you know, and had to give it to the other guys. They battled a lot. And even when they moved into the bigger classes, you know, uh on on the uh in the 500 class, you know, they, they still battled because obviously those guys, two guys were closely matched and better than the rest of them. So when you went to that Puyallup race, was that your first professional motocross race that you watched? Yes, it was. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was fall of 77. Yes. That was my first professional motocross race that I saw. So when you went from just reading about it and you know, riding, not racing at that age, but, but riding, um, was it kind of eye-opening to see, you know, to see the race versus what you had heard about and read about? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was amazing. It was awesome. We drove up there, it was pouring down rain. We got there Saturday night and, and we slept in the canopy, me and a buddy slept in the canopy and, um, it was pouring down rain and that whole area was one giant party all night long, but that takes dedication to get through that. You know, we were 16 year old kids. We, we were not going to get involved in that because we didn't know anybody. We were 200 miles from home and we just, it was pretty, it was kind of scary. But anyway, the next day when they started racing, it was, it was surreal, you know, seeing, DeCoster and Woolsink and Adolf Wheel and and Hans Mesh and all these guys, all these Europeans there. And then you're seeing, you know, the Smith and the Hannahs and the Bob Grossies and the Jim Pomeroys and all these, all of them were there. It was nuts. You know, we already knew their, their names and what they rode by the magazines and stuff. But it was just surreal to watch these guys actually go around the track and then to watch them actually race. You know, we knew how fast we went and what we looked like that was a different ball game because we're out there on you know 125s tearing around having a good old time these guys were on 500s and they were busting it it was really great did that did that change the way that you rode watching the likes of marty smith um actually ride a bike did you go oh i'm i'm doing this wrong like trying to explain to someone over the phone how to sew you know big time changed how we rode it changed how we built the tracks and our fields and everything it changed a ton Um, that was that was october of 77 honestly you know what that 
couldn't have been my first race because I went to the 77 USGP at Carlsbad. And that was in June. So Carlsbad USGP was the first race that I saw. And I'm pretty sure Marty Smith and Tommy Croft rode in the 125 support class at that race. So yeah, um, that's actually the first professional one I saw was the USGP. And then it was in that fall, probably motivated by seeing the USGP to go watch Puyallup. Um, so it changed your style, changed the way that you viewed it. And I'm sure then, you know, the next week when you read the, uh, you know, the, the story about, about the race and compared it to what you, what you remembered, uh, did it kind of change how you read the articles? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the, the name of this is dumb. I can remember the dumbest things, but I can't remember the important things. So in the article in Cycle News about the Puyallup Trans Am, it was titled Rocket Defroster Freezes Them Out because it was cold and rainy. <laughs> important stuff. Yeah, important stuff. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was neat to read the article having seen it and check. you could kind of check the accuracy of it, which, yeah, 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 as you read it, you know. Or if you watch the Supercross, you know, the Daytona Supercross, and then you read the, the article on it the next day, you know, there's, I don't know, maybe it's better these days because they have a little bit more background information because you can't, you can't know everything that goes on, especially at a Supercross where the pits are, you know, outside or somewhere else. But at the, at the, the USGP and at the uh, Puyallup Trans Am, I mean, you could get into the pits the whole time. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, people who are newer to the sport may not know just how ragtag um, the sport was just a few years ago. And yep. even today, yeah. if you look at outdoor national tracks, you know, 30 days before and 30 days after yep. the race, like you'd be shocked to see that it's just an open field. Yeah, that's all it is. Yep. Yep, and you know, even at the nationals, you know, you got the big semis there and everything like that, but you still got guys that chase it around. The local guys, they they drive up with their pickup and they try to qualify and get in. You know, they try to get into the top forty and actually race the national. That still happens, and they they will. You'll see it a lot where you know these these names you've never seen, uh, but you know they live by Southwick. Yeah. So they they ride Southwick all the time, yep. and you know it's these local pros. Yep. Um, that you only see at one or two races a year. There was a few years ago, uh, maybe five years ago, um, at Southwick, where a guy, a local guy, got the fastest time in the first practice. <laughs> he did. He beat them all. In the first practice, the second practice, I think he was still in like top six. But when it came to racing, you know, they shuffled him back because they know how to race. He knows how to go fast on that track, but they knew how to race, which there is a difference. And, you know, by Moto2, the professional um, endurance is going to going to shine. Yeah, and the cream will rise to the top, just like, you know, going back to the Smith and Hannah battles. I mean, they were... 
they rose to the top. Marty Smith eventually moved up to the to the big bikes. Yep. He he raced the 125s through 76, but he did um, a few of the bigger bikes starting in 1975. Uh, according to this, he did three Supercrosses, mm-hmm. four 250 Nationals, and two 500 Nationals in 1975. Yep. And then in 76, he did five Supercrosses, two 250 Nationals, and uh, the 125 GPs. Mm-hmm. And then 77 was um, uh, his first year racing 500s and 250s. Yeah. And there was a lot of times that guys would race the 500s and the 250s back in those days because the series uh, weren't run. They were run, you know, kind of separately, if you will. They would have, you know, 125, 250. Or 125 500s or 250-500s, you know. Um, so they would they would race, you know, most every weekend, but just sometimes it was a 250 and sometimes it was a 500. That would be that would be a trip to to jump displacement like that week to week. Back in those days, though, you know, it, motocross was. Uh, wasn't such an exact scientific thing where you know a tenth here or a tenth there made all the difference in the world these guys were winging it man <laughs> they were leaving it on they didn't you know they're still it was it was american infancy still just imagine telling tomac that he's gonna race hangtown on a 450 and then glenn halen on a 250 yeah yep they would go nuts but you know what? That's just how it was, you know. I, <laughs> I guess they're the guys that that uh, went to school uphill both directions in the snow. <laughs> yep, yep. Now they so, don't have to go. Marty, Marty Smith won the 500 championship in 77. Yep. And he was close to winning the 250 championship. Mm-hmm. Um, but Red Bud, he blew up a transmission and yeah. that that put him out. Yeah. Now once again these were factory bikes. They were they were they were racing them, but they were also for development. Jap- Japan would actually send them parts and say you have to use these. We need to know what they do in a racing situation and sometimes at, it fit them. At the end of the day, racing is R&D for production bikes. At the end of the day, you don't make is. money racing. Yeah. You 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 get free advertising along with your r&d yeah yep yep because you know even back then yes they wanted to win but you know you also um to somewhat of a degree way lesser of a degree you know like in nascar you know if the home depot car is running 16th but he rolls it and slides down the track they're getting that (laughs) screen time they want to get (laughs) home depot's happy because they're on that replay you know, eight times. Yeah. I think about when, uh, when it was, uh, oh, just a few years back, you had the two of the, uh, 250 Yamahas. It was, uh, um, Jeremy Martin. And I don't think it was, uh, his brother, but their bikes broke in consecutive motos. And oh then, yes. I remember that. And then, then there was a races where the Kawasaki's were breaking, you know, they get the footage. I, I think that was uh, the season opener of 2016 or 17. Savachi and Forkner, I think, both yes. uh, broke the 250s. Yeah. Yeah. And like 
a few laps from each other. Yeah, yeah. And then the in Unadilla was where the Yamahas broke. And, uh, you know, you still get the footage. Yeah. You know, your advertisers so, get the visibility. So, I mean, it's not always a bad thing when, you know, when Marty Smith's transmission went out, I'm sure there was pictures in magazines of him pushing the bike back. So we, we spoke a bit about, um, you know, the 250 riders and, and, you know, him moving up some, uh, some riders like, you know, Jeremy Martin moving up to the four fifties, you know, people are, have been thinking for a long time, mm-hmm. he's ready to move up. He's, he's good to go. He's going to do well in the four fifties. He did well, um, on that one race at, um, Daytona, Daytona. He got second a few mm-hmm. years, few years ago. Uh, then you've got other racers like Joey Savacci that, you know, people think, oh, we should probably spend a little bit more time in the 250s, not ready to move up. How was Smith viewed? Was he viewed as he's this 125 rider and, you know, he's really good there. He should stay there. Or was he well accepted um, into the uh, into the big big bore ranks you know what the reason we're talking about this all all these years later is because he was marty smith no he was good right away when he jumped on the 250 and we couldn't wait to see him get on the 500 and he was good on that too he was marty smith that's why we're having this conversation because he was marty smith he's just an amazing dirt bike rider just all he was all of the bikes he was at the top of the game you know was he always the best no but he was when he wasn't. He was right there. He was, you know, fierce competitor. He knew what he was doing. Um, he was good. Seems like the majority of his his career, the you know, the only reason he didn't win absolutely everything comes down to um, a lot of mechanicals, some politics, yep. and yep. Uh, a little bit of Hurricane Hannah. Going back to those days, mechanical DNFs were pretty darn common. A lot of championships were lost. Um, Bob Hanna uh, lost that 77 uh, 500 championship to Marty Smith because he broke a, a, uh, the circlip that holds the needle on the slide in the carburetor broke. Oh. And the, no needle, all of the needle just stayed down the jet, plugged it off. You could lift up the slide, but it would let air, but no fuel. Game over. And that's the kind of stuff that would happen, you know, when the, when the transmission went out, it might have just bent a fork, you know, it probably didn't just lunch the whole thing. Um, a lot of times you'd have a broken shock or, you know, the wheel would break or whatever. I mean, um, they had a lot of DNFs back in those days. Today's bikes are amazingly reliable. I mean, pretty much the only thing that knocks them out now is, you know, maybe they'll occasionally blow up a 250 or rip off a uh, radiator hose and a lot of times they can still finish the moto yeah uh chad reed did that uh just a couple of years ago yeah. at the mud race in uh seattle yeah yep and uh and yeah he didn't in daytona but <laughs> we we've seen lots of other bikes where yeah. um you know they'll say oh there's some white smoke now remember the problem is in the white smoke it's when the white smoke stops yes. and that means they have no cooling left and you know they'll they'll follow that rider all the way through the outdoor at that point um and you know you just cross your fingers and hope they can make it across the line yeah um i read something this week about marty smith that i thought was perfect 
said, uh, Marty Smith is to motocross what Kobe Bryant was to the NBA. Wow. That's pretty good. That's, that's huge because it's not, and it it's more than that really, because he also, you know, basically started, you know, he didn't just, he didn't just change it. Kobe Bryant changed the face of basketball. He, yes, you he know, did. Yeah, he did. He was hugely important to the, to the sport, but Marty Smith, um, you know, I'd, I'd make a more apt comparison, but I simply don't know, you know, the early NBA players, um, yeah. you know, way, way back. Um, but that's the thing is he's, he's kind of the reason that a lot of people ride today, you know, like people like you, if, if there weren't riders like Marty Smith, yeah. um, you know, starting, starting this in the U S and saying, Hey, you can do it too. I did it. You can do it. Yeah. Cause I mean, he was, he wasn't, I don't want to say he wasn't anything special, but he was a normal guy <clears throat> that liked to ride. He had fun and he loved doing it. Someone like Roger DeCoster, I, I could imagine, you know, someone your age um, coming up and seeing him, but it's, he's, Oh, well, you know, what do they feed them in Belgium? You know, yeah. what, what's in the water? Because that's, that's not something that we can do. We see all the U S people getting, you know, just, dissected uh you know by this surgeon with a motorcycle you know there's just no way i could ever do that and then you see someone like marty who starts riding at you know 14 Mm -hmm. and starts racing professionally at 17 and you know you're just a few years behind him going well i'm i'm 14 now he started when he was 14 he's 17 now he's racing yeah why not me yep and i started racing at 14 Here's a here's a big difference, you know. Roger DeCoster, he was, you know, probably in the big picture was a better rider than Marty Smith, <clears throat> but it was it was a more of a business for him. It was more of a business for Bob Hanna. It was more of a business for Sylvan Gabor's and all these guys that were super super good, um, but those guys don't ride. When they retired, they didn't ride anymore or very little. Marty Smith was doing schools, and when he did his schools, he geared up and showed you how to do it. He was driving a buggy when they when it was over. I mean, he still played because he liked it and loved it. That's who he was. He yeah, he really didn't stop riding. Um, not to get too far, you know, ahead of ourselves, but after he retired he didn't disappear like some you know champions did he he kept doing stuff to the point that he ran a you know a a writing school yep um you know he was still doing that um you know recently i'm sure people have have deposits you know still in for the writing school and they're you know they're waiting to hear if he's going to be replaced by someone else or, or, you know, what's happening with that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's how in the sport he still was. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because he loved it. <clears throat> you know, I was, I was reading a, um, an article on Cole Seeley this week and, you mm-hmm. know, he doesn't, he says, he says he doesn't follow the races when they're going on. He says, I'm my, my, he still rides, 
but he, you know, he's out riding rather than sitting and watching it on TV. He didn't even know, you know, that Ken Roxon had won a race, but somebody told him he won. So, well, okay, well, I better call these guys up. You know, he still rides, but as far as the big time racing, I guess, you know what, Marty maybe did the same thing, just doing the schools and not, not doing the racing, but at least they, they still loved it. But, you know, there's some of these guys that when they quit, they're done. Roger DeCott who was it? stayed with it. Who was it? Someone, um, someone made a lot of money and disappeared into the Appalachian Hills <laughs> and uh, hunts out there. I can't remember. It's not Stanton. I think it's Stanton. Stanton, um, for 10 years, he helped with Honda, and then now he's kind of doing other stuff. Yeah, but there was someone who specifically uh, around that era just disappeared, but it's not interesting for me to not remember something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and you've, you know, you've got different people that, you know, go on different, uh, different routes. Villapoto, everyone thought he was just going to be gone from the sport. Mm-hmm. But he was but for a while. He, that's the thing is he took a few years off and now he's, He's right back in the mix. He's riding. He yep. is racing the 125s. Yep. Finding a way to help them. While at the same time, people thought by now Ryan Dungey would be, you know, at the forefront, which he was momentarily. Yeah. Um, with with the Geico deal, but yeah. I think he's you know, gone now. I think he's gone now. He's going to go off and live his life. Yeah, I mean, I I hope I hope he sticks around. Um, you know, I've got I've got one story that I'll bring up at the end of this uh, to kind of sum it up. But um, I, you know, I hope we see people like Dungey stick around to some extent, as long as that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, he um, finds a way to make it fun again. He'd come back. And you know, speaking of of coming back, um, nineteen seventy eight, uh, Marty Smith did not have a great year in 78 um at the astrodome he uh he he crashed and he got run over uh by a few guys and it dislocated his hip Ooh, bummer um so he was i mean he was arguably the the fastest rider in the u.s still in 1978 Mm -hmm. um but he had to lay on the track until the main event ended. You know, they didn't have really? the asterisk medical crew back no, then. So he, you know, he, he, to quote him, he said, I waited for a half hour on the ground with a dislocated hip. That was um, painful. And then when he got to the hospital, there was no one who could put his hip back in place. He had to wait till the next morning for them to fix him. Oh. Um, he, he, and to quote him again, he said, that was probably the the beginning of the end of my career. Uh, it yeah. just took the fun away. Yeah, when you, you don't want to hurt like that again, you just don't. Yeah, you have to you have to know if that's worth worth doing anymore. Um, yeah. yeah. He, you know, he was with Factory Honda um, through 1979. And in 79, um, he was considering retiring because, you know, at that point he wasn't winning absolutely everything mm-hmm. uh, like before his injury. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess factory Honda at the time was uh, <laughs> very corporate and very cold and calculated. And, um, you know, if you're not winning, 
they're not going to be as happy with you. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was in the, through the eighties for him too. And you know, that's, that's, you know, kind of what he's saying is that the fun was gone. And mm-hmm. you know, if, if it's, if it's just all business and you got into it because you love doing it, if it takes the passion away, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, so he ended up signing with uh, factory Suzuki uh, for 80 and 81 um, and he did well. He didn't win any championships mm-hmm. in 80 or 81, but he had fun again, which, which is kind of what's, what's important, but I guess it was still kind of too much. And, um, yeah, he, he, he said that his heart wasn't in it anymore. Um, and you know, when, when that happens and I, there are some writers that, you know, I'm not going to name check, but there are some that I just feel whether it's injuries or business or other writers, um, there are some people that kind of seem to have that same attitude right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm waiting for them to step down. I I saw it in Cole Seeley. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you and I both did after his last injury that he was going to write out his contract, but yeah, you know, he, he never really got his, his speed back and he never looked comfortable and happy again. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so even though he was happy at Honda, just, you know, it's hard to, hard to get past something like that. I'm still, you know, working past my minor injury. It wasn't even that bad. It wasn't even the hospital this time, but you know, when you crash and you get hurt and it hurts for weeks, yeah, it makes it kind of hard to get back on the bike. Yeah. It took you quite a, quite a long time. You had a head on collision on a, in a trail system in 2016 no i think it was longer ago than that it was more like uh 2012 um yeah uh, you had a head-on head-on collision and you uh you couldn't ride in the front of the pack for a few years it was just that year just that summer that i couldn't and that was i only did that so that i wouldn't go too fast (laughs) that was my own discipline thing where if i don't lead because if I lead, I'm going to want to rip. But if I can let somebody that I know is not quite as fast as I am, that kept my pace down uh, to where I wouldn't get in trouble because you can't, you don't want to get two concussions in a row. That actually can kill you. But I still wanted to ride, so I had to do it within reason. The, uh, the collapsed lung in, in 93 or 4, that was the one that made me think. But, you know, once you get healed up and you get on a motorcycle again and first gear, second gear, third gear, it's gone. For me, anyway, I don't think about it anymore because it's too much fun. You know, I've pretty much every 20 years or so, I make a trip to the hospital. But, you know, as much as I ride, that's a pretty good record. If I, well, let's see now, (laughs) I'm maybe three or four years from my next trip to the hospital. So I'll kind of have to start being careful, but (laughs) otherwise, if that's what it takes, I'm still good with it. So Marty Smith basically, basically retired after 81 with Suzuki, but on his way out, he uh, picked up a ride from now. You got to help me out because I keep saying the name of this wrong. Kajiva. Kajiva. Uh, Kajiva was can you kind of give me a elevator it's, pitch of so, who that was? It's an Italian motorcycle. Um, you know, 
I think they still make them, but they're more like off-road um, bikes. Maybe they don't, but I'm pretty sure they still make them. It's an Italian motorcycle where, the, you know, they had the, uh, you, know, you know what? Kajiva got gobbled up by KTM. Okay, so it's so we'll eventually see a Kagiva out there because they just keep bringing back every yeah, brand that yeah, they own. Yeah, back. But yeah, that, it got gobbled up by uh, KTM. I remember now, but it was it was Italian manufacturer. You know, they had, um, you know, I can't even do all the names back there, but they had the, you know, Kajivas and Galeras. They had Galeras, um, lots of old bikes like that that uh old italian bikes they had lots and lots of them just like there's italian car manufacturers there's a lot of motorcycle manufacturers so they picked uh, marty smith up for the 82 season mm -hmm. but only for like local races um it, they didn't pick him up for him to win races just to ride the bike and be seen on the bike and kind of bring some cachet to to the brand mm -hmm. um he admits himself that it was it was for the money, you know. He he mm -hmm. said he made more money in his six months with them than he did at his best year with Honda. So, you know, if you know you're on your way out and you're retiring, you know, I can't fault for someone for wanting to pad their bank account and oh, yeah. yep. be a little more comfortable. You know, he he earned it by winning all those championships. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, thinking of a comparison, some years later. Um, on that situation there, Justin Brayton. Mm -hmm. you know, he probably figured he was going to retire four or five years ago. But it's now, now he's really working out for him. Yeah. But hmm. that was, you know, for him to go ride that Kajiva for a while, was, I'm sure it was good for him. It was overall a good experience. You know, he didn't have the pressure of racing the Nationals where he felt like if he wasn't, like, on the verge of hurting himself, you know, he didn't have to go there with it, race in local races. And they gave him the visibility. Kind of kind of like when McGrath was on KTM for what was it, one or two races? KTM loved that that even though he wasn't successful, they loved that visibility of having a guy like McGrath on their bike. Exactly. And it helps helps everyone involved. <laughs> so, you know, he, he retired and uh ended up doing the doing the school and i believe he did a little bit of track building um but he he spent a lot of time with his family you know in the interim years mm -hmm. he's a well-known well-known guy everyone you know has nothing but good things to say about him you know when they'd spend time he'd show up at some stuff and i can't um, imagine that there was a single marty smith hater out there and i could have he's just such a like you know he just was that guy he was he was marty smith so let's just real quick kind of share what's you know what's in the news about what exactly happened um marty smith and his wife nancy were in a uh four place uh side by side um with a with a friend and his wife um and they you you uh, you read a little bit more about it. it was a it was a dune buggy accident. Yeah, they were uh, they were going through the dunes and stuff, and and they came up to the top of the dune, and you know you don't just fly over those things unless you know it's over there. And they got to the top of it, and it was a ridge back, which is it's kind of smooth on one side, but it 
drops off too far to drive off of on the other side. So we kind of turned sideways and apparently it rolled. It rolled anyway because he went just a little bit too far as he was turning. It rolled. Um, and that's how him and his wife got thrown out and that's how they got killed. But the, apparently the, their friend, couple friends in the back seat didn't, uh, didn't get thrown out. And they were actually well enough to try to help save the Smiths. Yeah, Lee and uh, Tammy uh, Ramage were were in there with them, and yeah, they said they spent nearly an hour trying to, uh, you know, resuscitate them before the yeah. first responders yeah. uh, arrived. So they did, you know, more than everything they could do. Imagine the panic that would be. You know, you've got your friends. You know, um, I can't. I can't. I just. I just can't know. even. You guys and and out with Rem, you know, and and uh, there they are dying, you know, and you're just like, what am I got to do? You know, put yourself in their shoes, and that is that, that's not something that anybody wants to go through. But you're completely cool. helpless. You're doing everything within your power, but you know what can you do? You're out in the middle of uh, you know sand dunes. You've called the first responders, but you know it still takes time for even a helicopter get yeah. out there and find you and then what can they do you know before and then it's how much farther to the hospital and uh, you know neither of them even made it to a hospital um yeah just you're that far out I, i've i've been to akatio which is like still still another 70 miles closer and the 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 coverage is sketchy there i'm amazed that they were able to call somebody Granted, they were at the top of a dune. That would help, but still, I'm just amazed they could contact anybody. Well, I mean, bright side, at least, you know, Lee and Tammy are are safe. You know, it'd be yeah. worse if more people, and they were un, uninjured at all, which is, yeah, amazing. you know, whether they were strapped in a little bit better or the direction that it rolled or, yeah. you know, what have you. Yeah. Um. But you know, not 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 to dwell on the uh, on the unfortunate side of this, but um, you know, just if you ever think I don't need to put on a helmet, I don't need to strap in, I don't need yeah. to put my seatbelt on, I'm just going yeah. over there. Yep, yeah. think again. It, it's just not worth it. You're going to be missed by too many people. Yep. Um. So you know, in a way, uh, the legend of Marty Smith will will certainly live on and uh the only uh kind of other story that i want to bring up because i i i find this is something that he would have loved there's not a lot of information on it yet but there's something happening with a bunch of ex-pros um travis pastrana mike alessi ryan villapoto ivan tedesco there's a list of about 10 of these ex-pros mm -hmm. that seem to be gearing up to race on the 12th of, of May of May. Are they going to do it like a Marty Smith Memorial or are they just going to do a race? There's, there's not much information on it quite yet. Um, yeah, it's all underground, huh? Yeah, there's there's a lot of Instagram posts kind of talking about a thing, but huh. no one's saying anything specific. There's a they're name checking a 
a boxing, like an MMA um, Instagram page. That's funny. Uh, and I, you know, I checked out the page and it's all just boxing. So I, I'm trying to figure out exactly what's happening by the time, you know, th- this will go up tomorrow. So, I mean, something could be, could have happened by then, but, you know, I just feel like this is something that Marty would, would love. And I mean, I'm seeing names, uh, people that are name checked, like Glover is, is being name checked in this. Oh yeah. He still races a lot of vintage stuff. So he's right. Yeah. But out there with Filippoto and Alessi and Tedesco and Wyndham and Pastrana, like this is gearing up. If this is real, this is gearing up to be my favorite thing since the Legends race. Yeah. At, yeah uh, Indiana. I, I hope they do it. And you know what? We're probably going to find out when it's already done. Yeah, that's likely what it is. So if they don't, you know, get anyone trying to show up, they're just going to get their 10 people they're legally allowed to have yeah. together. Yeah. Um, and do a race yeah. and have just a couple people film it and throw it up somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, if that's how we get to kick off our season, possibly, yeah, <laughs> um, which that's that's possibly the weekend of the first uh, Supercross coming up, yeah, is they're talking about having, uh, you know, a whole bunch of Supercross rounds all in Glendale, Arizona, um, and you know they've they've just today pushed back the outdoor season to the Fourth of July as a start, so. You know, this is all winding up to be very exciting very quickly. So for yeah. us, that's a little, uh, a little more than two weeks, a little less than two weeks, uh, a little more than two weeks from yeah. from today. That's an exciting uh, tidbit. I'd love to. I can't. I hope something really happens there. Yeah, just to see all those guys just, you know, just an exhibition race because there's there's, that's not really a competition. That's. No. bonkers oh ryan sipes uh is also uh checked on that um just trying to come up with it from memory but that would be that would be wonderfully fun to see all those knuckleheads out there yeah. racing yeah they're, they're probably gonna have to um ask for forgiveness and forget the permission mm-hmm. <laughs> oh that's all Pretty much from everyone's sponsors and and uh, authorities and their wives. Yeah, there everyone. probably won't be any sponsors. <laughs> no, they'll all ride white motorcycles, <laughs> <laughs> white gears. They'll have numbers but no names. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! Yeah. No, they probably will, you know, show some stuff off. But that would be cool. I'd love to see well, it. Well. Thanks for coming on. I just kind of wanted to do a, a very specific uh, episode about Marty Smith because I know uh, how much he meant to you and your, uh, you know, your writing uh, oh, career and really kind of changed your whole trajectory for your life in a way. It, it did. It did. <clears throat> and he's really, you know, I've come to like them, but he's the reason I wrote Hondas. Hmm. That's why I went that direction, you know, but then I come to like end up liking them you know i tried i had yamahas um and they're very good motorcycles but they just weren't my style of riding style and the hondas heck i've had i had an 81 cr 450 some people say that's the edsel of the honda crs nope that thing worked really good it didn't stop very well 
and had enduro type power, but it really, it really handled well considering it didn't have a lot for brakes. Unripped, it was plenty fast. My 480 was way faster, but it was still a good motorcycle. Um, yeah, I've, I've always said that it's, especially nowadays, it's not really good bike and bad bike, especially, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, there were better and worse bikes, there even, was. For, even for a regular Joe, but especially today, it's more what fits you because they're all different. And so yeah. you may just prefer the way one steers or the way it delivers power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have any any other final thoughts um, before we close down for the night? Anything, anything you remember? Anything about Marty? No, I don't. I, I never actually got to meet him. I know a lot of people that did. They were all putting their pictures, you know, on Facebook this week, there are times with, with Marty Smith. And, and there was one thing that I wanted to go to this year, but I missed it by a week. And that was the Carlsbad reunion. And he would have been there not knowing, you know, but I still would have been able to meet him there, but you know, that time has come and that time is gone. I'll still try to go to the Cal, El, or Carlsbad reunion next year, but, uh, time to meet him has come and gone, but you know, he's, he was, I think that that he was the Kobe Bryant um really covered it yeah incredible incredible racer incredible guy um i'm you know we just kind of glossed over his career i'm sure a lot of other places are going to be doing more in-depth stuff yep um we just really appreciate him yep yep he was a good inspiration still will be our thoughts and prayers go out to his family uh that you know survive him and uh wish them the best Yep, um, some kids and grandkids. I know, I know he had a son, but I don't know what else he had. He he had he had grandkids also. Yeah, he did. He had grandkids yeah. also. Um, we'll be back next week, and until then, uh, we're just gonna go ahead and uh, you know stay home, stay safe. Let's keep everyone uh, above the ground. Yep. Uh, for a while. Yep. Okay. Good night. All right. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Loose Spokes podcast. A special thanks for Jahazer for the use of their song, The Last Ones, under the Attribution Share Alike license.